You are now listening to Well-Fed Women, the show that's been radically changing the way women perceive health, fitness, and their bodies since 2015. I'm your host, Noelle Tarr. Submit your questions to wellfedwomen at gmail.com, and you can keep up with the show on Instagram at wellfedwomen. Welcome to the Well-Fed Women podcast. This is episode number 315. I'm your host, Noelle Tarr of coconutsandcuttlebells.com. I'm a nutritional therapy practitioner and a National Strength and Conditioning Association certified personal trainer. Super excited you're here because in this episode, I'm going to be talking about something everyone can benefit from, and that is how to deal with toxic thoughts, anxiety, and depression, was something called neurocycling with Dr. Caroline Leaf, who is a brilliant cognitive neuroscientist. But don't worry, this isn't going to be overcomplicated or hard to follow. I'm so excited to have Dr. Leaf on because she is a teacher and she knows how to explain things so that we can apply what we learn and use it in our everyday lives. And, And Dr. Caroline Leaf and I chatted about this before we started, and we are going to use some of the examples that are applicable to this community. So examples like disordered eating and body shame and guilt and even eating disorders, we're going to kind of be diving into where does that stuff take root and how do we process it and change our thinking so that we can live free from um, that toxic thinking. And more than ever, we are living in a time of fear and worry and anxiety. And subsequently, that's having a direct impact on our physical and mental health. So as we'll learn, toxic thought patterns, you know, they impact us immediately, but they they impact also chronic illness in a profound way. So today we're going to learn how to stop toxic thinking before it starts and even after it started with uh, mind management. Uh, before I introduce Dr. Leaf, most of you know I'm, I'm just not, I'm not big on alcohol. I do not enjoy wine. And a lot of people who struggle with GI issues tend to kind of feel the same way. But thanks to flying embers, hard kombucha and hard seltzer, I now have something I really enjoy to drink for fun. And it doesn't bother me or my gut at all. I found them a year ago at my local grocery store and the black cherry hard kombucha and then the watermelon chili hard seltzer, which I have to order online, is now my drink of choice. Flying embers is better for you um, better for you alcohol that brews it's they brew this hard kombucha and then probiotic powered hard seltzer all of their products are they have no sugar they have no carbs they are completely certified organic and they're brewed with live probiotics and adaptogens and they're also all gluten-free what i've noticed is that like when i want to drink at the end of the day it's very uplifting and light. It doesn't make me feel dizzy or gassy. There is no bloating like with beer and no sugar crash, which you can get when you have, you know, wine and cocktails. Their products are artfully crafted with a dry fermentation process, which gives the hard kombucha a perfectly balanced natural sweetness and it tastes amazing. Fun fact, Flying Embers was founded during the Thomas Fires in Southern California in 2017, where their R&D labs... Uh, and brewery and home almost burned to the ground and it was saved by first responders because of that they named their brand after it and donate a portion of every purchase to their responders nationwide that's awesome receive 15 percent off your order which is a really decent discount um go to flying embers 
dot com slash well fed. So that's flying F L Y I N G embers e m b e r s dot com forward slash well fed. The discount is only available there. And make sure to use our code well fed at checkout to get 15% off. Now let me introduce Dr. Leaf. Dr. Caroline Leaf is a communication pathologist and cognitive neuroscientist. She specializes in cognitive and metacognitive neuropsychology. Since the early 1980s, she has researched the mind-brain connection, the nature of mental health, and the formation of memory. She was one of the first in her field to study how the brain can change. It's also known as neuroplasticity. We'll be talking about more uh, talking more about that today, uh, with directed mind input. During her years in clinical practice and her work with thousands of underprivileged teachers and students in her home country of South Africa and in the USA, she developed her theory called the geodesic information processing theory of how we think, build memory, and learn, creating pa- practical guides and tools that have transformed the lives of hundreds of thousands of individuals struggling with conditions like traumatic brain injury autism, and mental health issues like anxiety and depression. Dr. Leaf has an incredible podcast called Cleaning Up the Mental Mess. It's been going on for quite some time, so I'm sure you all are going to want to go jump and jump on and subscribe to that. Um, you can just hit pause and go do that because after you listen to this, you're going you're gonna to want to. Welcome, Dr. Leaf. Thank you so much for uh, weathering the absolutely crazy Texas power and water outages to be here. I'm sure it probably took a lot of mind management to uh, to deal with all of that. <laughs> it did. It did, Noel. Thank you so much. It's lovely to talk to you again. I so enjoyed our last conversation. And yes, it's been an interesting few days, three days without power and water. And I'm a great lover of the snow, and I suddenly didn't like the snow for a while. I thought, gee, where's this one snow does? <laughs> I can blame the snow. I must blame Texan, the Texan infrastructure for not managing cold. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Snow's still your friend. Yeah. Still my friend. <laughs> so I want to dive right in because there's a lot to discuss when it comes to mind management and, and changing our our mind so that we don't get trapped in toxic thought patterns. So right off the bat, you make a really important distinction in your book. And I kind of want to address that. So what is the difference between the mind and then the brain? Wonderful question and an excellent place to start. Well, no, we live in a in an era where the mind, as we all know, the mind and the brain are seen as the same thing. They're used interchangeably. And most people say, oh, I didn't know they were separate. And that's because of the current messaging that has been around for about 30, 40 years. As you've discovered more about the brain, so there has been the ignoring of the mind. But they are very, very different and very distinct. And the way to get your mind managed and to get those toxic thoughts under control and to manage anxiety and depression and those kind of things, at the core of that is to understand this difference. So I'm really glad you asked me that question. So the mind, the, let's start with the easy one. The brain's the easy part to understand. It's the physical substance inside your skull. It's your brain and body together are made up of about 37 to 100 trillion cells. So our brain and body collectively are 37 to 100 trillion cells, which arrange themselves into your brain and your heart and your lungs and your kidney, everything physical. And that's about 1% of who we are. It's what we can see, the 
the biomedical model understa- helps us to understand the uh, when things go wrong and it's very clear and it's very we're learning more and more and that's working very well when it comes to the in terms of management when it comes to mind however we've really missed the boat in the last 30 40 years we've gone forward with 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 our understanding of brain, but we've gone backward when it comes to our understanding and development of mind. And this is the field that I've been in for 38 years now, so it's almost four decades that I um, that I have researched and also practiced clinically around understanding the mind brain mind and brain difference and the connection and how much influence and power we have over mind. So mind is separate from the brain, but inseparable. And to explain mind on a psychological level first, which is the easiest way to understand, your mind is always with you. You go to sleep with your mind, you wake up with your mind, you choose your clothes with your mind, you read Instagram with your mind, you you go to you have your conversations with your mind, you're using your mind now to listen to me. Your mind is working when you're asleep, sorting out what you've done during the day. So your mind is always with you. Another way I explain this is, and I put this quote in the book, is that you can go three weeks without food, you can go three days without water, you can go three minutes without oxygen, but you don't even go three seconds without using your mind. And so that's very significant. If your mind is always working 24-7, why are we not spending more time understanding it and learning how to use it? And I've honestly been, there's not Even though there's research on the mind, it always comes back to the brain produces the mind and always comes back to sort of emotions. So I've tried to go and dig deep over the years in understanding what mind is. So psychologically, it's always with you. So what is it? Basic definition. It's how you think, how you feel and how you choose. Those three things work together, always working together. When you think, you will feel. When you think and feel, you will choose. So and you're doing this all the time. In fact, right now, just to take my words, which are sound waves, auditory sound waves, your mind, your thinking, feeling, and choosing processes the sound waves into meaning, and it's basically pushed through the brain as a gravitational field and a quantum force, which then causes the brain to respond electromagnetically, neurochemically, and genetically. And my words are then converted by this by you, with your mind, thinking, feeling, choosing, pushing this energy through the brain, allowing the, uh, then the brain then responds. And when it responds on all those levels, including genetically, the, the basically proteins are formed from the genetic response. And these, my words, are little vibrations inside these proteins, which cluster together to form branches. They kind of, so you basically grow little trees in your brain of what you're hearing. So as I'm speaking, you're literally doing this think, feel, choose with your mind and pushing it through your brain and you, and you're growing these, the roots of the tree. As I speak, you're growing the roots of the tree. And as you listen more, you grow a little tree trunk, which is the, which is the, your perspective of what I'm saying. And then that forms little branches and leaves, just like a tree, which are all the memories of how you are interpreting what I'm saying in terms of your life. So in terms of your behaviors and your emotions. Mm. And that then will produce what you say and what you do. So you're basically growing a tree. And then as I say more, you grow more on the more information on the roots is and I say grow little protein branches with my words as vibrations in them. And then your perspective tree trunk gets stronger and you grow more branches. And it's all happening very, very fast. And that's basically a thought. And a thought is a tree and the roots are the memories and the branches are the memories. So a thought is one concept, this discussion or your experience with your 
whatever you ha- whatever you've gone through today. So each thought is an ex- is an experience, um, and each experience is basically made up of memories. So each thought is a concept. It's a tree, and like a tree is made of branches and leaves. So your thoughts are made of memories, which are all the data and the emotions and, and things like that. So what's really nice is that mind then is thinking, feeling, and choosing. You build it into your brain as physical trees, and then that becomes what you say and what you do. So if you want to know what you're thinking, you can simply look at what you're saying and doing and and the emotional reactions you're having and so on, and you can track back, which we'll talk about when you get to the neurocycle. But uh, understanding the structure of the thought as a consequence of mind in the brain is, is interesting. But not only do you build that tree in your brain, so you've got all these forests in your brain because you've been building thoughts since you were literally conceived. Mm. So you've got all, and every day, all day long, you're building these thoughts. You build about 8,000, maybe 10,000 thoughts a day. And in addition to building these thoughts, which you're aware of, you also have thoughts connect that the that, that inform you so you've got all these other thoughts that as i'm speaking of now are popping up into your mind that are helping you understand this information and build a new thought so there's this this coming up thoughts that are coming up plus thoughts that you're building plus the experience that's coming in so our minds are very busy and it's happening all the time anyways so my argument is that we need to manage that process and i wanted to know could we how does it work what's the science of thought in this whole tree thing i've just described and memories and how, you know, can you control this and the answer is yes we are designed to control this and that's what cleaning up your mental mess is about is that as as a human we all are mental mess you can't avoid that you're human you're going it's, it's a process of experimentation you don't con- can't control anything you can't you can't control the events and circumstances but what you can control is your thinking feeling and choosing in response to the circumstances mm-hmm. and your behave and results and behaviors and communication and so on so that's the process that i teach people to do and, and because your mind's always with you all day long and at night you may as well learn the process of doing that. Mm. Does that does that give you a big overview? <laughs> yes, that's a great overview. I, it, what you were summarizing and talking about, and, and something that was a totally new concept for me is, you know, you you really address this this idea of neuroreductionism, w- which is basically I, the idea that when it comes to mental health, we have everything. We've made it kind of all about the physical brain and we've completely removed people's experiences and and exactly. their thoughts and, and just, you know, how that impacts their mental health. And it kind of leaves people helpless thinking, well, oh, I can't change it. Oh, my brain made me do mm-hmm. it. And so, in mm-hmm. fact, people are suppressing and suffering instead of processing and reconceptualizing and managing that. So talk to me about this whole like, you know neuroreductionism to uh, another big word neuroplasticity what does that mean and and you know how how empowering like you know why is that more empowering great questions no and that's so true neuroreductionism is neuro means brain and reductionism means reducing down to the brain so quite correctly you explained it quite correctly that everything's become about the brain so in the 80s when i started working started researching you know studying becoming a scientist and so on um, we were told that the brain couldn't change and i challenged that with my early research and i was one of the first people to do neuroplasticity research in my field and neuroplasticity means plastic means 
plastic it can change so the neuro the brain can change neuro meaning brain plastic to change so neuroplasticity is the fact that the brain actually can change in response to stimulation and the stimulation is coming from majority of time well the 99% of the stimulation is coming from the mind and then obviously what you eat what you put onto your body what you inhale so external as well which will also change the brain so whatever we physically put into our in, into or onto our bodies will change the brain and body but our thoughts are the dominant thing our thinking feeling and choosing and the thoughts that we build are the dominant factors that are causing neuroplasticity in the brain and which is the changes in the brain the brain can't change itself the the brain always changes in response to something being put in the main factor being the mind Mm -hmm. and as i said the mind is this external force like this gravitational field and we use quantum physics and and electromagnetics and einstein's work to understand the this gravitational field like that's literally around us and it's not anything weird i mean it's 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 as real as when you walk past someone and you give them an electric shock you're actually generating photons and that's coming from your 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 mind your thinking feeling choosing process and it's an energetic force and and so um essentially when we when we look at the brain and the body which is only one to ten percent of who we are and we try and explain the mind in, which is this energetic force around and that moves through the brain and body, you can't apply the same rules because they're different. It's a different, you've got to approach them differently. Um, and the, the, the problem with neuroreductionism is we've made everything about what we can see and everything about the brain. So we've spent billions, and I shouldn't say we because I'm, a, I'm in the group of scientists that doesn't agree with the neurobiological approach, but billions of dollars have been spent on trying to find the neurobiological cause. In other words, where in your brain is depression? Where in your brain is anxiety? Where in your brain is PTSD? What is the vulnerability in your brain that causes that? And so, in other words, the the thinking is that the brain produces thoughts or the brain produces the mind. But if if you have a dead brain, it can't do anything. So, it can't produce anything it's because you're alive and you're having experiences of life that's why your brain is responding and i show in my book in the first half as you would have seen all that i've in my most recent clinical trials i show the results of those very simplified so not hard science and i make it so simple that i say this is what the science means for you so you can almost skip the science and just read those little excerpts of you like science and these pictures but essentially i show that it, in, literally instantaneously when you don't manage your mind and all of us battle with this, but we can learn how to do it. Our mind's in a mental mess. And as I said, if you're human, you're going to experience a mental mess daily. And um, when we don't manage it, it affects our brain functioning, our brain health, the way our different parts, structures of our brain work, and our body, our heart, every part of our body. And that's because not only do we do we store these thoughts that we create in our brain and our gravitational fields of our mind, but also in the DNA of our body, every cell of our body. So we have thoughts in three places, which is quite significant because when we recall a thought and our mind's going, a whole body, it's a, it's a whole brain body mind experience. It's a whole integrated experience. Mm. So we have to, you know, we have to work within that domain of, of, of using, of working with the whole brain. So we can't ignore the narrative. So in a very simplistic level, I know you deal a lot with eating disorders. You may have three people sitting, I could have three people sitting in front of me now. Well, you and me, let's say the two of us. I actually did have an eating disorder at 18. And two of my daughters have had eating disorders. And I know you, this is one of the main things that you talk about. You talk mm-hmm. a lot about this. And um, that, but 
they, with these three different people, or two different people with my two daughters, there's four of us that in, that I can just, I'm taking for an example, for us to just all get labeled that we have an eating disorder as a disease would be crazy and insane because that eating disorder is a response and it's a response to something that is going on in our life. It's a symptom of an underlying cause. So, to, and it's not an it, it's a manifestation and a symptom of something that's going on. And, and we have to unpack that something that's going on in order to find out why, where this started in the first place. What's the origin story? Like I explained to, in, when I explained the thought, the origin story of, of what, what you're learning from, from this podcast is the words that I'm saying. I'm giving you the information about the mind brain and you're growing. That's the roots of the tree and you're growing all this information. So from this podcast, you can go away and say, oh, the mind's this, the brain's that, this is a thought because hmm. I gave you the origin story. And then you were processing and growing the trees. And because you went through this process, you can speak from that. If someone that's like, say, an eating disorder, some things or a multiplicity of things could have happened. And this is one of the symptoms of um, that, you know, the, story, the roots were, the seed was sown, the experience, and that you grew the roots of the origin story, the tree trunk, which is the perspective, and that then you grew the branches and the leaves, which is the beha the behaviors and the emotions, and that manifested in the warning signals, which is uh, which is the action, the active, the eating disorder, but the, the the eating issues, but that also brings along with it a lot of depression and anxiety and guilt and shame and a bunch of emotions. So we can look at those emotions as warning signals. We can look at the physical in our body. We can look at our behaviors and we can look at our perspective and we can use all those as warning signals to track back to the origin story. But that takes time. And that's kind of what the neurocycle does for the big stuff like eating disorders, but also for the day-to-day -day stuff. Like you could just before this podcast, maybe you um, you had something go wrong. Maybe you got a read an Instagram post that made you feel awful about yourself or mm -hmm. as you mentioned in our pre-discussion and mm -hmm. or you have an argument with someone or you just had a lousy work experience and now you've got to pull yourself together and you've got to go and do a podcast or you've got to go into a business meeting or you've got to go and whatever you've got to go do something so you have to get your head back on you know we often say things like that that's where you would use a neurocycle as well because that's all mind yeah. so the neuro the concepts i've developed called the neurocycle is how you basically self-regulate and manage your mind so that's a long answer, and maybe we should dig more into the mental health aspect and then the neurocycle, but you can drive it however you feel. <laughs> um, yeah, I, wow, I just, I, I love the visual of almost having a forest in your mind and looking at manifestations of, or, or like, you know, disordered eating patterns or an eating disorder, something more severe is that is, is the result of r thoughts which have taken root and kind of grown forests and we and it's influenced by a number of things it's not a physical we're not looking at the brain and saying well why is your brain making you do this it's exactly much more involved and obviously cleaning up that mental mess and mind management helps us process and reprogram and you know change you said neuroplasticity change you actually change our brain you can direct um, it mm -hmm. wow wow so um and i i just thought it was such an interesting concept every time i read it i was like wow this is so true but i don't think we give this enough credit is that every action starts with a thought so every mm -hmm. action both you know what we're doing in our physical space but also every action like every thought about ourselves our feelings it starts with a thought and lots mm -hmm. of things influence our thoughts and so when we're not actively managing our mind and our thoughts they can take basically our mind is 
become something that we're not in. Well, we are in control of it in 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 a way, but it becomes something that we didn't necessarily intend for it to come that way. And and I, you know, from personal experience, having a lot of my uh, just a really lousy relationship with my body and food, I can see how I mismanaged a lot of external influences. And I created a lot of thoughts, a lot of forests in my in my brain in you know, and my mind was made up in a very specific way. Because I didn't manage what I was allowing to kind of create the forest. So all of these analogies, let's exactly. talk, let's, let's move I to. I know you got it. You've got it totally. You hit the nail okay, on the okay. head. And <laughs> essentially, that's beautiful. If you, if you take that forest, because we don't have visuals, I'm going to paint a picture for you. And this yeah. really makes it easy. So I gave you some science there that the brain is this physical thing and that the mind is this kind of gravitational field around the around the brain. So if you can imagine a magnet and a magnet that and you put iron filings next to a magnet and it arranges itself into that into that sort of spidery shape. I don't know if you've ever done that. You would have probably done that at school at some mm-hmm. point when you were being exposed to electromagnetics and I'm sure the majority of the audience would have done something along those lines. So they give you a pile of iron filings on a piece of white paper and they just this pile of iron filings and then you put a magnet in the middle and suddenly there's this beautiful pattern and you take the magnet away and boom it's iron filings again and that's such a beautiful example of the mind-brain relationship and I'm going this is going somewhere back to the forest I promise (laughs) iron filings back to the forest but if you think of your brain as the magnet and you think of the iron filings as the behaviors the, the, you, you can't see the electromagnetic field around the magnet, but when you put it next to the iron filings, you can see it. You can see the pattern. The iron filings just arrange themselves into this beautiful pattern. That, and that is what the electromagnetic field is. That's what your mind is. Your mind is this field around you that's unique to you. I can't take your field. You can't take mine, but it's interacting with the magnet and the expression is in what we do. And what mm. we say, our communication. So that's the pattern of the iron filings. I don't know if that's relatable to to what I'm saying so people can understand. Physical magnet and then this force around that if you want to see what the force looks like, look at what you're doing. Look at the shape of the iron filings. That's the, the, the manifestation. So what you're saying, what you're doing. So let's take an eating disorder and let's take, if you want, you can take, why did I have one at 18? Well, I had a, I, I, once I'd done the work, I did the neurocycle and it took me years to get, I wish I'd known the neurocycle when I was 18. I developed this in my early 20s, and that's when I started getting healing from my eating disorder once I started understanding the mind. And anyway, I worked out from going through this process that the origin story was, so the roots of my tree, the thought eating disorder, so the, the thought tree was called an eating disorder. And my specific eating disorder, and I actually got anorexia. I didn't eat, so I, I mean, I literally starved myself. And um, that that, and it was a sort of six month period of my life. When I went to the origin story, it was interesting because I was studying at that stage, and my um, and my one of my best friends also got anorexia at the same time. We kind of egged each other on, and but but my origin story, once I'd done the work, was because I had a friend as a very young child, and um, and she was this skinny, tall person who could eat anything. And I was very short and I am short and I'm very thin, but I was not thin as a child. And I remember being teased endlessly Mm -hmm. by her and her sister and even her mother and father. You know, they'd call me that little chubby one and freckle face. And I was so, I'd lost so much confidence in my body image that, um, that I just 
it didn't hit me then. It hit me when I was 18. Mm-hmm. Up until then, I was fine. And then at 18, it somehow it, it's the suppression. And once I had once I had unpacked that, I was able to reconceptualize it. And I managed to, you know, that it took me a while to actually accept that and then unpack it and whatever and move forward. So that's just an example. I used the neurocycle to get to the origin story. I could not change it because it actually persisted into my marriage and into the first few years of my marriage. So it's only when I had developed this technique and I thought, oh, gosh, you know what? I need to apply this for myself. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, because yeah, I'm still, I'm not, I'm not starving anymore. I'm, yeah. I'm, my, my body weight was normal at that stage, um, and but I was still very unconfident in what I looked like, and I would constantly ask my husband, "Am I fat? Am I thin?" I'm, I'm sure you guys can relate um, right. in, in some way to this. And then I did this neurocycle, and it changed, and the freedom, the freedom to, you know, I remember how I was because I remember how I looked in the mirror and saw myself. I remember looking at food and not seeing food, but seeing calories. I couldn't even see, you know. I remember one day looking at an apple and and my big sister was amazing in this process and she she said to me how many calories is that and you know it was almost like a clinching a thing that prompted me to go use my technique because I was in the process of developing my technique that my sister saw me do this and it made me realize because she knew I was not seeing an apple I was seeing whatever 70 calories and um and could that fit and I was calculating could I fit that into my diet and I really wanted that apple and she knew I was thinking like that so she said how many calories and it was the trigger that made me think okay it's time to apply my technique so mm-hmm. I don't know if this makes sense but it was my behavior symptoms by, were, were manifesting I was it made me anxious I didn't get mm-hmm. as depressed as I got anxious I was always and I'm very busy I transferred my anxiety into lots of distraction very busy doing a lot studying a lot doing multiple sports etc etc so i then started doing the neurocycle where I started recognizing, hey, this this what I'm this anxiety, but this hovering anxiety and this shame about body shaming and whatever and and guilt every time I ate. This I hate this, yeah. you know. And, and I and I started owning it. I started standing back and observing myself. And I can explain this whole technique, but I'll give you the big picture first, and then we can unpack it. And mm-hmm. then I said, uh, then I started going through the the process. So the process was. I was triggered by my sister to really apply what I'd been le- developing as a scientist and applying in other con- in other mind issues like with people with traumatic traumatic brain injuries or war traumas or um, learning disabilities or Alzheimer's. So I was applying it in everything except my own life. And she said something that triggered me. Um, I started looking at my warning signals and I started going through the process. And I don't know if you want me to explain the process now. Yeah, why don't we do that? Because okay. it's now perfect timing to. Okay. I would okay. love to know too, like, you know, how did you work yourself through that? Because I think a lot of women are right there kind of dealing yeah, with absolutely. those things too. Yep, absolutely. So um, I, it was a process. First of all, you I primed my brain. And what that means is that with my and I, what is I? I is mind. So mind, remember, is thinking, feeling, choosing. So the, the mind is you. You think of it like that. The mind is, is your unique way that you think, feel, and choose, which produces a perspective on life that is unique to you. No one else can think the way you do. The thought you've just thought now is completely unique to you. So the thought you've just built in your brain from what I've just been saying for the last 20 minutes or so is completely unique to you. And so that's you. When I say you, I'm talking about your unique way of thinking, feeling, and choosing. Okay, so so that sets the, that's the first point. The second point before I dive in is that you um, think of that forest in your brain and that as, as trees, which I've described, and also think of that forest in your mind. So you've got a forest in the in the magnet, and you've got the forest in the in the in that gravitational field. So your, in other words, you you these your memory, your thought was their memories 
are in the brain and in the magnetic field of the mind and the gravitational field of the mind and in the DNA of the body. So therefore, every cell of your body, and you've got about 37 to 100 trillion cells, is also storing that memory. So if you just talk about those memories of the, in the thought. So if you think about just Caroline and her eating disorder, that's a thought tree in my brain, in every cell of my body, and in our gravitational fields. And what does it look like? A big forest. So now... Here's Caroline in a helicopter, and I'm flying over the forest. And this forest is infinite because it represents everything about me, my experiences from in the womb till like at a certain point in the womb, obviously, and birth, whatever, through life to the age I'm at now, or when might let's take me to the age that I was when the eating disorder started, which was around 18, and went on to about sort of it almost went on the 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 mindset went on for quite a few years. Probably 24, 25, 26 before the mindset shifted. Um, so the forest that you've but that I'm flying over is all the thought trees in my mind. So I'm looking at this massive forest, and some trees are tiny, some are big, some are beautiful green, and some are black. And the black ones is maybe like just one or two, or there's a whole cluster. And there's one now. One of those is the eating disorder one, and it was at, let's say I'm, I'm at 18 and it's at 19 or whatever, and it's this really big one. It's really catching my attention. But in the middle of this forest, there is this big strip of beautiful green trees. Like, it's perfect. So in in my mind, I've got this one strip through the middle that's untouchable and it's perfection. And that is what we would call in neuroscience the wired for love brain and mind. So the brain we see, the brain and the body, interestingly enough, we see from all this advanced knowledge of the brain and body that we don't actually have structures for fear or anxiety or depression or envy or jealousy or terror or despair. Those are emotions that are created in response to adverse circumstances and kind of almost as coping mechanisms and warning signals. So when we keep, when we have a toxic experience, like a trauma or whatever, um, and it's, it, and it's wired in as this dark tree instead of a healthy green tree, it means that the proteins in the brain are not, that make the tree are not folded correctly and the chemicals are all wrong and the balance is all wrong. So it looks different in the brain. And it looks different in the mind and it looks different in the DNA um, from a healthy thought. And and then that, because that's an abnormal state, it's because our mind is wired, brain is wired for love, mind is wired for optimism. Those And the reason that we have that state is because it's survival. If your brain is filled with toxicity from um, from toxic thoughts or from toxic chemicals and toxic foods and so on, it's, it threatens your survival. It increases your chance of illness by 75 to 98%. And if you are ill, your chance of survival reduces. So as humans, we want to survive. So the wide for love optimism bias is survival. So for example, and I'm getting to the point in the neurocycle, but this all builds up to it, is if you think of how people are drawn to the negative, like negative news and negative, and then mm-hmm. how the media plays up on that, it's been explained very often by scientists very incorrectly as the negativity bias that humans have. But it's not, there's no such thing as a negativity bias. We have an optimism bias. Negativity does not lead to survival because negativity actually causes inflammation in the brain and the body and reduces lifespan. And therefore, it's not survival. So our brain and body and mind are geared for survival. So if there's something negative in our environment, our natural inclination is to go and fix it. And that's why we don't it. We're not daunted because we don't because we're negatively biased. We don't because we're positively biased and we're trying to fix. And that's that negative things created an imbalance in our psyche, therefore in our brain and body. And we want to restore balance for survival. So it's a nice way of looking at it because now we don't have to fear that, oh gosh, there's something psycho wrong with me because I'm drawn to this negative. No, you're just trying to fix it. 
and you know yes you can get sucked up and yes you cannot mind manage so you can become very you can become more negative obviously everything has to be managed but your natural inclination as a human is survival and that's why it's for love so that green tree through the middle of your forest is this wide for love it's an analogy so it just helps to visualize it mm-hmm. scientifically we see that the waveforms that the mind generates when you are operating in an optimism bias mode. So like you've just helped someone or you just had a great moment or you're in love or you, you just discovered something great about your work. You know, those aha wonderful moments or you've just helped someone and they, and they really benefited. You know, those great moments we have in life and we think, wow, how did I even know that? When people have that kind of state, we see a, a very interesting balanced waveform occurring through the brain and through the mind. And when it's erratic, we see that happening when people are toxic in any way. So, I mean, there's lots of scientific evidence, and I have a lot of this with images and pictures and things in my book to help you. So, having laid that foundation there, now you are the heli in the helicopter, and you the pilot and you the co-pilot. So, here's the next little concept. You need to stand back and observe yourself. In order to mind manage and self-regulate anything that's going on in your life, you have to stand back and observe your own thinking. Why? Well, it's happening anyway. You are in any case responding. Your mind is always with you like I began this interview. Your mind never for it doesn't even stop for three seconds. So you are always using your mind. Always. Okay? So because you are always using your mind, if you don't manage it, it's still working. It doesn't stop working if you're not consciously managing it. But it's certainly not working like it should be. Mm-hmm. So then you make a mental mess. So that's when you get into an argument, a silly argument with someone and you don't fix it and then you just never fix it and you just keep like now there's this bad narrative in your head about each other and it just kind of goes bad and we just keep falling back in the same patterns and we just you know that kind of thing where you just like bumble through life and just feel at the end of the day this is just such a mess that doesn't have to be the norm that's you can change that by self-regulating and mind managing so mind management means that you are actually self-regulating so we talk about mind management which is managing your thinking feeling and choosing in a very self-regulated way and how do you do it through the neurocycle the neurocycle is a scientific process that i've developed over these 38 years and tested clinically and and in clinical application and so on and it's each step has been meticulously worked out to see what's happening in the mind and the brain and the mind-brain interaction as you do this to, to create the most optimal state that you can direct neuroplasticity, so direct the changes in your brain and direct your mind. So it's a, it's a system. It doesn't replace therapy. doesn't replace any technique. You want to work any wellness technique. It enhances them. It simply provides the vehicle within which you'll do them to get the most out of them. So by doing whatever you already do, Within the system of the neurocycle, you make it work better. So that's like a nice, easy way to understand the overarching concept. So coming back to the practical application, you drive flying over this forest, you the pilot and the co-pilot. The pilot is you, the messy one. And the messy one is on the outside of the the the, the, the outside trees of the forest. The co-pilot is the wise mind, the wired for love, the survival mind, the one that knows what's right. And we don't always tap into that sufficiently because we get so busy and so hurried and so rushed that we don't take time to introspect sufficiently. When you consciously and deliberately introspect, which is what the neurocycle teaches you to do and trains you to do, it's a skill you can gain and improve, you then 
find that you co-pilot yourself really well. So you're driving, which means you're controlling, but sometimes your flying's terrible. And sometimes even you listen to the co-pilot, your flying's good. And in the case of my situation, I decided to listen to the co-pilot. And so here's Caroline, the co-pilot, the wise mind saying to Caroline, the messy mind, hey, you're kind of like missing it here. You're still thinking in this anorexic mindset. Mm. Um, and there's the tree. And the tree sending up a smoke signal, stop ignoring it. Stop trying to whack on a band stop trying to put on a positive affirmation stop trying to use something to numb it you know maybe too much exercise or whatever whatever you know we all and there's no guilt in any of this own it embrace it hear what i'm saying i felt no guilt about what i was doing to my body and this is very key and no shame that controlled me i used the guilt and the shame to drive me to fix it I transferred the energy. This is a very subtle but incredibly pivotal moment if you can get this because, and you can because you're all brilliant. It is not seeing the depression, the anxiety, the shame, the guilt as something negative, but seeing it as something very positive because it's a messenger. So the guilt, shame, whatever those, I know those are yucky things to experience, but they messengers, they warning signals, they smoke signals, they're telling you, they messengers, they, there's, there's, when you face them, you get through them. The only way out is through. That you, you've got to feel it to heal it. So you can't, you can't suppress it anymore. We have a terrible philosophy in the West that has developed terribly in, in the, um, in the last 40 years. And that is, any of those emotions are bad and you've got to get rid of them. It's it's a very strong in the religious community. It's very strong in the psychiatric community and it's, per, it's permeated into general society. And I know there's a counter, there's a counter movement because we see that in the self-help media. It's okay. Express your feelings, embrace them, which is fantastic because that is the correct thing we need to embrace. So Eastern philosophy shows us that when you see them as messengers, it's, you will have a lot more peace. Research coming out of Tokyo and Texas just recently confirmed this research and I did this research too and I found the same thing and it's in the book too if you embrace this guilt and shame and you own it in this co-pilot way so the co-pilot says yeah there's shame around that there's guilt around that there's there's fear there's that's okay those are just your responses you're trying to survive mm. and that's now take that energy because no energy is lost it's only transferred so take that energy and instead of taking you down a spiral where you condemn yourself and you're just going to go and binge eat more whatever it is that, that, that you're doing or because we're using the eating disorder example mm-hmm. is take that embrace that and now let's unpack it and see what what we what we can do with it so you take the guilt energy you put it into like a detective energy and you become this detective that's going to sort it out where you get to the point where my daughter eldest daughter who had bulimia like she had anorexia bulimia she had the whole she did the whole lot and honestly nearly died she landed up in hospital i mean she grew up with all this so she knew what to do and you can know what to do and not do it and don't have to have any guilt in that because something has to bridge it. Something one day, like my sister asking me that question was my bridge. And one day uh, my eldest daughter had a, also had an experience that was her bridge. And she suddenly realized, okay, I can do this. I can connect the dots. I can start applying this process. And she shifted. And she got to the point where as she was healing, and this was this is the most phenomenal thing. It's going to help so many people. It, um, it's an example I use all the time. She said in her healing process, one of her active reaches, which is the fifth step of the neurocycle, one of her active reaches in the process was to say to herself, it's okay, you only vomited four times today, not six times today. That's progress. Can you hear that? Instead of saying, oh my gosh, I still vomited four times today. Her thing was, 
it's okay. You vomited four instead of six times. Maybe tomorrow we can get it down to three. Can you hear the difference? Mm-hmm. And that was that moved her through her healing was one of the things she did. But that moved her through her healing to the point where she could actually, she wasn't shaming herself. And as soon as she shifted from shaming and used the shame in the way I've just described, transferred that energy, she then gave herself grace and rewarded herself for the reduction of the amount of times she was vomiting. It gave her the resilience to now, and very soon she stopped the vomiting. Very, It was very soon once she'd made that shift. So that's the kind of philosophy. That's how you approach this thing. So it's a non-judgmental very important that you do that. And then there's techniques I have in the book, like for priming your brain, like you can do deep breathing. And one of the, uh, which we all know, breathing helps in meditation. All these things are very important in the healing process. They, but I call those the brain priming or brain preparation. You have to do those and you have to go beyond. So the neurocycle is the next phase that you go through. And I want to stress that this, this, what I'm talking about doesn't replace therapy. It enhances therapy. Okay. So it'll make, because therapy is once or twice a week, but you living with yourself 24-7. So what are you doing with yourself 24-7? You need the neurocycle. That's what you're doing with yourself 24-7. And then you, your, your therapy is where you, you strengthen and you boost yourself. It's your catalyst where you grow yourself, et cetera. And connecting with people like yourself where you can and in communities where you can then be encouraged. Peer support is one of the best ways of healing in any kind from anything. Anyway, to come back to this, once you uh, once you have uh, the breathing exercise that works super well and super fast, is where you breathe in for you breathe in for three counts and out for seven. And that's not anything new that you've probably heard this before ten times. But the difference here is that you really breathe out hard for seven, and you breathe out longer for seven than you breathe in. Because the extended breath increases oxygen and blood flow to your brain, increases your decision-making capability and reduces impulsivity, which is massive in an eating disorder. Because we triggered and then boom, there is that that um, that impulse. So you want impulse control. So deep breathing. And if you do it for six, it's 10 seconds, three in, seven out. And you, if you do that six to nine times, it's 60 to 90 seconds. And if you do that just before you start a neurocycle or just before any desire to carry out, to, to do any of, any of the eating disorder behaviors that you, that you have, it will help to calm down the neurochemical chaos and increase your cognitive flexibility. You can make this even stronger, and, I, and all this is in my book. This is just one of many different techniques that I put in the book to help you in your brain priming. Um, and is you can add the words think, feel, and choose to the exercise. So in the inhalation of three, you say think, feel, just silently in your mind or out loud. And then when you breathe out on seven, you say choose for seven counts. And you really force it out like that yogi breath, you know, that oceanic breath at the back of your throat. You push it through. You almost feel like you're brain's going to pop which is good you want it means you, it means you're pushing that oxygen to the front of your brain and the blood flow and you're balancing the two hemispheres and doing a million great things which i do explain in the book so that's just all the preparation so here i'm the pilot i'm the co-pilot i'm breathing as i land i'm going to pay attention to the smoke signal which is that tree that's the eating disorder i land the tree i still have my safe co-pilot with me all the time i can use the breathing whenever i want in the process to keep myself calm at any point when i feel anxiety rising i see anxiety depression um, fear terror shame guilt all those emotions and i have a whole list of emotions in the book plus an emotional warning signal guide which you can rate the intensity of your emotion and how to, you can track how it changes to help you but all those emotions 
are warning signals. They're the smoke signals. They're not it's. They're not illnesses. They're not neuropsychiatric brain diseases. They are warning signals, very real and need attention because your narrative, your experience, you are not your brain. You cannot be neuro-reduced to your brain. Your Depression is not a clinical disease that caused you to have an eating disorder or whatever. All the things you perhaps have been told. But you are you and you're unique and have this huge complex concept, a concept, a narrative, contextual narrative. In my research, and you, you'll see I stress this in the book, we looked at the brain, we looked at blood, we looked at DNA, we did psychological testing, even a test that I've developed that's really great at seeing your self-regulation. But the most important evaluation I did was the person's narrative. Who are you? What's your story? How do you think, feel, and choose? What's happened in your life? How do you see life? And so that's vital and a huge vital component. And that's stored in that tree. And it's all in all the trees. But now the tree of the eating disorder that you've landed at, we need to con- we need to look at that complex narrative. And it's very hard and things get worse before they get better. And it takes time. It's not going to happen overnight. We live in a quick, fast, quick fix me. Give me a tablet. Give me five steps just to make hmm. it go away in an instant. I'm sorry, these five steps do not work in an instant. They work over time. It's going to take cycles of 63 days for the healing to come, which is nine weeks. And it may take you multiple cycles of nine weeks before you get through the total, all the all the origin story and work it out and get this thing under control. But that's okay because you're progressing forward. If you don't work in these cycles, the, the, you're going to keep falling back into the same patterns again. So this is how you break that pattern, Okay, how you drive the neuroplasticity, how you rewire the brain and you retrain the outside part of the, the forest, of the mind. The inside forest knows what to do. So you're relying on the, the inside forest, which is the wired for love survival, to help you to retrain, redesign, recreate that tree, regrow that tree in a beautiful way where it's this beautiful, becomes a beautiful green tree and the story of your anorexia or whatever you had, eating disorder, is in the is in is is like gold veins through the tree. So it's no longer this ugly thing, but you remember where you were. You've changed how the past plays out into your future, which is what I've done. Mm. I've changed how it plays out into my futures and I can use this to help other people. I can I am set free from the chains. I can recognize like a shot what when someone's in the pain, which all of you can identify with. If you've battled with eating, you can see someone in two seconds you know someone's battling. Um mm. so you can use that to help someone else. So um, I know this is long, but it's, this really sets the stage and, and everything's in detail in the book. But essentially, you land the tree and now what you're going to do is go through the five steps to literally take the tree out the ground, as I've said, and grow another one with the, the old story as gold leaves in your tree. That's kind of the visual you want. So you've got gold in the green, which is a beautiful visual. Hmm. It's the reconceptualized. And it's your story in your new story. It's your old story in your new story, but because it's now been transformed, it's now gold instead of black. So Five steps. What do you do? Pilot and co-pilot. Co-pilot starts because that's the one that's the wise mind. Says, okay, gather awareness. The five steps are gather awareness, reflect, write, recheck, and active reach. You do, and I'll briefly explain them, but you do these five steps every day for 15 to 45 minutes, not longer, not less, when you're working on detoxing an established thing like, like an eating disorder. If it's an in-the-moment thing, like you've just had an argument and you've got to get your head on and you've got to get in front of a camera or something, you can do the five steps very quickly. So they're a mind management in the moment, which I call a neurocycle life hack. And they you can use them for the established stuff like an eating disorder, like a toxic trauma, like a toxic habit, like or even to build a new good habit or to build to brain build which is very important in, in building brain resilience. All of that's in the book, very clearly laid out with examples and all that. OK, 
Okay, so the first thing you land your tree, you gather awareness. I gathered awareness of my emotional First of all, gather together. Gather is not landing on my head. I'm not. Let's say that this tree that that has got this eating disorder has got lots of apples on it, and they're all these rotten apples, and there's so many that you just touch the tree and boom, these apples are falling on your head. You don't want to do that. You don't want to just like be hit by all these apples. It's overwhelming. Your co-pilot says just stand a little bit away from the tree and you pick the apples, so you control the process. You've got a basket and you pick. What's the emotional warning signal? What are they? There's the anger. There's the shame. There's the frustration. There's the guilt. There's and you put them in the in the in the basket. You gather awareness. And then you've also got room in the basket to put your physical warning signals. So what are your physical warning signals? Nausea, heart palpitations, whatever. Um, tension in your body as you as you just look at this tree, as you just think of it, what, what is it? And you pick, gather those apples. And then you gather awareness of your behaviors. What are all your behaviors around this? And so on the first day, you may only pick two apples of each. Then day two, you may pick another two apples or another three. And, you know, that's where you go through the 21 days. You, every day you're gathering awareness of some new signals. Then you look at what's in your basket and you reflect. Reflect is a beautiful word. It's a huge word where you are analyzing and um, being a detective and trying to find out, you know, asking, answering and discussing, why do I have these different signals? What does each apple mean? Why? And then you write that down, what you've gathered and reflected on. And you'll see in the book, I teach you a concept to write, a concept, a way of writing called a metacog, which is the most phenomenal way, 38 years of research. It is one of the most powerful tools in this five-step process. All of each step is, is powerful. But if you really want to get to the core of your issue quickly, Boy, I use this in therapy every day when I practice for 25 years and taught all my patients and now thousands, in fact, millions around the world know about the metacog. It's a way of writing that helps two sides of the brain pull together so you introspect deeper, so you pull out those thoughts, you the memories in the thoughts. They dig out the memories in the thoughts. Remember, trees are made of branches and roots. Thoughts are made of root memories and branch memories. The, the This gather, reflect, Writing in a metacog helps you dig out those root, root and branch memories. And then you pull, you just like they, like a branch. If you look at branches and roots, they're kind of messy. That's what your metacog looks like. Just pour your brain on paper. Don't worry about meaning or tidiness. Just get it out. Your fourth step is where you get order and meaning. That's why it's recheck, get order, get meaning, find patterns, find activators, et cetera, et cetera, and find antidotes. And then your active reach is to take those four steps into a simple action step. Like my daughter's example, today I'm, I only vomited twice instead of six times or whatever it is. Well done. And you type that into your into your phone uh, reminders or if hmm. there's, I have, a, I have an app called the NeuroCycle app that goes with this book. And um, you, you've, there's, a, there's a little section, Active Reach Reminders, and you can type it in and set, set it to come up seven times. That's the key number. There's all the science in the book about why. And it pops up. And all you do is read that statement. And you So when you want to start falling back to the negativity, you don't allow yourself. You hook yourself, your mind, you discipline your mind with your your pilot, your co-pilot says no pilot. You're not going to think about that now. You're going to think about your active reach. You're going to keep your head in that space, and then tomorrow you can work on it again. And so you go through this for 21 days. From day 22 to 63, you just do the step five. You'll create a final active reach of the whole 21 days, and then you practice that. For honestly, it takes about a minute a day over 42 days. 
why do you have to do this for 21 plus 42, which equals 63, which is nine weeks? Because that's how long it takes to form a habit that will create behavior change. If you don't go that long, you're going to remember you've tried. You're going to have I've done the therapy. I've done the techniques. It's not working. Well, the good chance that you just didn't, and I hate to say this long enough because I'm not trying to put blame on anyone. I know how hard you're trying, and I know myself how hard it is, but you have to be very disciplined. Give yourself a lot of grace and go through it step by step, and if you haven't got it all at the end of 63 days, you're still vomiting, but now it's only twice a day, you've still progressed, Mm -hmm. and then you can go back and you can take the next deep dive until you've actually, and so you go through the cycle. There we go. Does that kind of give you an overview? <laughs> that was that was kind of an overview. It was a great overview. The only thing that I, I, I kind of want to touch on uh, the last question, because I know we're coming up on time here, is, you know, if somebody is suffering pretty substantially or they're, you know, they're on medication for anxiety or depression or whatever, can they be going through this cycle and kind of processing things? Maybe they've never processed things. Maybe they don't, you know, that they went to their doctor and their doctor said, okay, here's medication. Um, yeah. Are, are they are they able to kind of slowly, you know, work with their doctor to get off medication? I mean, how how, how would one Absolutely. tackle that? Okay. Excellent. Excellent question. I'm so glad you asked that. Yeah. So, yes, definitely under doctor's advisement, um, you, you need to be under doctor's care. You can, if your choice is to taper off, definitely um, that's a really good decision. Find out as much as you can. There's so many different Sites about what these antidepressants and antipsychotics and anti-anxiety meds do. They're not even anti. That's the wrong name. They don't. All they do is suppress and they change the brain. So they do cause um, changes in the brain that are not great. So what you can ask your doctor for is an informed consent, which is a document that they need to provide that actually explains what these what the side effects are. And then if you've got that knowledge, you you know then you can find out more. If they don't give that to you, they should. They're legally bound to give that to you. They shouldn't just prescribe without you. You're supposed to fill this whole thing in. You're supposed to go through this whole thing and fill it in, but most doctors don't do that. So that's the first, a very good first step. If your doctor works with you on that, that's great. If you not, go to another doctor who actually will give you the informed consent and will help you go off meds. If that's your choice, it's a fantastic choice. Um, and I would strongly recommend that you ask about tapering off. Tapering means that you go off very, very, very slowly because these drugs have changed the brain. They are drugs. They do change the brain. And if you come off too quickly, you can experience tremendous side effects. And very often people or patients are told, oh, the side effects are your illness coming back. That's not science. It's not accurate at all. It's not, you didn't have an illness in the first place. What you had was a normal human reaction trying to Mm. cope with adverse circumstances. So you have no guilt in this thing. Your story is, I want to validate your story. It's incredibly important. Just to write it off as an illness is is, is a stigma and an invalidation of your experience. I want to validate your experience. You have every right to be heard and to experience your experience. So it's not your illness coming back. What's happening is that as the brain adjusts to the drug going out your body, the brain is actually changing physically and so is the mind and so is the the DNA of your body. And that's experienced as side effects. So you can have suicidal ideation and all kinds of scary things and that's why it's very important that you're under medical supervision with a doctor who understands how to taper and also with a support team who when you feel that suicidal thoughts or any kind of negative thing coming on you have a backup plan that you can immediately phone a person text a person be with a person sit with a person to help you through those moments and then yes the neurocycle is phenomenal in helping you 
come off because the neurocycle is going to help you manage your mind and you can start using the neurocycle to read your symptoms of okay when you taper this much then this is the symptoms I'm having and so you can use it to actually track and plan um, as well as working on what you went on the new anti onto, onto the medicaid the drugs for in the first place which was why were you depressed in my clinical trial what we found um, at the, the beginning of the study, and this is the last part of the uh, the answer here, um, Noel, is that they would come into the study saying, like, I am depressed. I am clinical depression. That was their identity. And with, with just suppressing and trying everything, medication, drugs, they were some of them were suicidal. But day 21, they were saying, I am not depression. I feel depressed because of. By day 63, they're saying that I know how to manage my depression. And the depression is not me. It's a symptom of. Now, that's a massive growth. And so that's basically what would happen. Dr. Leaf, thank you so much. I know we could probably talk for five more hours, and you do <laughs> on your podcast. So everybody go subscribe to Cleaning Up the Mental Mess podcast. I will link to drleaf.com as well as her new book, Cleaning Up the Mental Mess, in our show notes. Thank you so much, Dr. Leaf. I really enjoyed having you here. Thank you so much. It was a great chat. Thank you so much. Great speaking to you again. All right. For more from Dr. Leaf, go to drleaf.com. For more from me, coconutsandkettlebells.com. Thank you guys for being here. We will talk to you next week.